here at Mercy View. Tonight I'm reading from Romans 12, 4 through 8. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marla. Well, good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. If you are visiting tonight, I want to send a special welcome to you. My name is Brad, one of the pastors here, and uh, this is a unique night. This is family worship night. We do this a few times uh, during the the year, and uh, if you're here tonight and uh, you are a kid, a big kid, little kid, you know, you're a kid, I want you to raise your hand for me. Kids, look up here. Raise your hand. Okay. Yes. I see some older people raising their really big kids here. Um, All right, if you're a kid here tonight, I want to do something with you real quick, all right? I'm going to say, hey, kids, and you're going to say back to me, hey, Pastor Brad. You ready? All right. Hey, kids. Is there anything better than that? Now, that was good, kids, but let's try it one more time, this time just with like a lot of gusto, a lot of... A lot of excitement. Here we go. Ready? Hey, kids. Nothing better. Nothing better. Thank you. Um, You know, it is uh, one of the things that you hear us say a lot, uh, that we love our kids here at Mercy View. Uh, Sometimes people will say this about kids, that they are the future of the church. I got news for you. They are the now of the church. And we want to see them invested in and served well. We, we see that happen in Mercy View Kids. Jamie is leading the charge back there, doing a great job. They had a training today, and so many of our workers are getting just skilled and, and, and able to serve them um, in the future, and we're thankful for that. Um, but, uh, you know, we involve a lot of our children that are a little bit older in most of what we do in worship. Here, we hope in a little bit we're going to be able to do some of that elementary age class stuff. But um, we value our kids And one of the ways that we value them is by letting them, or not letting them, but inviting them, really, into coming and being a part of what we do here on fifth Sundays in the year. But I I want to do something real quick just to encourage you if you're a parent here, and maybe this is hard for you tonight, and I get that. It is difficult. Some of you are going to leave tonight like, I didn't hear anything. I don't, you know, I didn't know what happened. I was just kind of there. Let me tell you about why it's so important that you're here and that you're, you're with your kids. This comes from uh, pastor and author John Piper. He says this, our arguments for bringing children to worship will carry weight only with parents who really love that. They will only convince parents who really love to meet God in worship and want their kids to grow up breathing that air. The greatest stumbling block to children's worship is parents who do not cherish their own. They don't love it. They don't cherish their own worship. Children can feel the difference between duty and delight. 
They know whether or not dad loves being there or mom loves being there. So the first and most important job of a parent is to fall in love with the worship of God. If you go to church out of duty, you feel forced to or have any other reason than a love for being there, your kids will know. You cannot impart what you do not possess. So we want our children to catch authentic worship. And then he goes on to say this. We aim for children to catch the passion for worshiping God by watching mom and dad enjoy God week after week. If the children see dad praying face in his hands before worship week after week for 12 years, how might that impact them? If they saw mom and dad beaming with joy as they sing God's praises, how would it impact them? Of course, the service is over the children's heads. It's supposed to be. They are beginners. But we immerse them in the English language in the same way we want to immerse them in in worship. For a while, they may not understand most of it, but we hope and expect them to grow up in the useful, uh, the use of worship joyfully. This remains true even if they say they are bored. Music and words become familiar. The message of the music starts to sink in and the form of the service starts to feel natural. Even if most of the entire gathering goes over their heads, experience bears out that children hear and remember remarkable things. So if you're here tonight with your kiddos and you're distracted and you're not getting much out of it, you can know your kids are. They're watching you. They're watching you worship. They're watching you Express yourself to the Lord. They're going to watch you come to the table here at the end of our service. All of that stuff matters. And so we're grateful that you're here tonight if you're a parent uh, with a a kiddo or kiddos. Well, we are jumping back into a series that we began uh, at the beginning of this year called Anthem of Grace. Uh, Anthem of Grace is really the continuation of a series that we began in the fall of uh, 2021 in the very beginning of Romans. The first half of Romans we walked through together uh, in a series called The Reign of Grace. And the reason why we called it that and the reason why I went through Romans 11 is because Romans 1 through Romans 11 really is Paul laying down uh, theological tracks for us to understand the, the, the bigness and the greatness of God and who he is and the way that he saves people. Uh, and so it's just, uh, it was a lofty, you know, time together. Just so many things to, to, to try to wrap our heads and our hearts around about who God is, his sovereignty, his righteousness, his kindness. But as we've moved into the second part of Romans, beginning in Romans 12, really we have a different kind of thing going on. Paul is taking the theology that we looked at in the first half of Romans, and he's now saying this is how that theology is to be lived out. Or you could say it this way, this is the way that theology is sung in our lives. It, it's how uh, that becomes an anthem for the way that we live. And so we are looking at, and we really have just started this in Romans 12, looking at the way that Paul wants this theology to be worked out in our lives. And if you remember at the top of the year, we 
began to look really at the very beginning of Romans 12, and we see Paul provocatively saying to us that, that this shift from doctrine to duty starts with seeing ourselves as living sacrifices. Paul is talking about a whole life commitment to live for God, not a compartmentalized approach to our faith, right? He wants us to, to see how every aspect of our faith in God should impact every aspect of our living for God. And so he, he does this for us at the very beginning of Romans to remind us that the Christian life uh, personally uh, in a local church and in culture, it's, it's about giving our whole lives to all of who God is and what he asks for us. And then we said that the way that we live lives of sacrificial spiritual worship happens through the renewal of our mind. And this renewal leads to a reshaping or a reordering of our worship. And that way we can say no, as Paul encourages us to, to the things that this world would tempt us to worship instead. Paul says that we renew ourselves by constantly returning to the, the truth of the gospel. And as we do that, we begin to find that nothing is worthy of our worship except for him. And we don't just do this in our personal walk with God. We said that we, we put ourselves in the way of discipleship or equipping so that others can help us do that renewal. You know, like they join with us in the renewal efforts that God wants to do in our own lives. And then we came to Romans 12, 3, where Paul begins to talk about how we relate to one another in the family of God. He wants us to think about how grace works itself out in the life of the family of God. And what Paul says in particular is that humility is what marks the Christian in the local church. And the core of gospel humility is not thinking more of yourself or thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And we said that the way that we get that kind of gospel humility is we begin to get the truth that only in Jesus do we get the verdict before our performance. We get the verdict that we are declared righteous before we have to do anything for God, before we respond to God in obedience. And it's what Paul says right before our passage today. He says, go for that kind of humility. Run after that kind of humility in the church, if you're a member of a church. I think we're going to see, I know we're going to see tonight as we look at Romans 12, 4 through 8, why that's so important. So look with me, if you would, beginning at verse 4. Paul uses this metaphor that you heard Marla read to describe the way that a local church should see themselves. We said um, that this word picture... Um, is uh, we've, we've, we've seen this word picture before because Paul uses it in many of his letters in places like uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. And you see this image here again in Romans. It's the picture of how the local church is like a human body. And Paul says that just like our human body has different and unique parts that all work together to help us function properly in the same way, the local church is made up of a diverse group of people who are gifted differently. And in God's wisdom, when those things are brought together in humility, it makes that church strong. It makes that church healthy and it makes that church beautiful. 
And that really brings me to the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. Humble unity in diversity makes a church beautiful. What Paul is saying here in the first part of this passage is that our humble diversity working itself out in the context of a local church brings about a beautiful unity that makes the local church powerful and attractive in the right way. See, Christian unity, rightly understood, does not undercut the differences that exist among Christians in the church. And differences among Christians are not to undercut the reality of Christian unity in the local church. So let's do this for a moment. Let's dig down here just a little bit and and talk about this idea of of unity. I actually think unity in the local church is something that's misunderstood many times. I think there's a couple of things that Paul is trying to get across here. And I think the way that I like to do it tonight is talk about the the way that... that, uh, He's not talking about unity to get to what he is talking about as he talks about this idea. So the first way that I think that we could think about this is this. Unity does not mean sameness. Just because we are all part of a family, uh, you, you guys are a part of a, a nuclear family or you, you have people that you're connected with that you would call your family you know though you aren't the same as someone else in that family unit, right? And just because we're all a part of the family of God in the local church doesn't mean that I am you and you are me. Paul is not saying that when you and I get saved, we are somehow transformed into a bunch of interchangeable units. No, we continue to have distinct gifts and personalities and wirings it's all part of what god brings together to to make a church beautiful and further our unity is not disrupted because there are differences between us it shouldn't be disrupted it's actually meant to strengthen our unity it's meant to boost and to heighten our unity so paul is not saying that one size fits all in the kingdom of god there are different gifts there are different responsibilities there are different levels of influence and leadership and service in the, in the church. All the partners here at Mercy View, all the members here, do not have the same function. And he says that again in verse 6 when he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So there are differing gifts in the body according to the grace and the wisdom of God. There are different responsibilities in the kingdom of God. And these all come together in a kaleidoscope of unity that makes much of God and strengthens his church. But here's the second thing I think is inferred here by Paul. Unity does not mean unanimity. Try to say that fast. What is that? Unanimity is agreement by all people involved. Here's what I think is inferred. Paul is saying that because there are differing gifts and responsibilities and areas of service, we should expect some sharpening as these things come up against one another. We should expect things like difficult conversations as our gifts and personalities and our spirit and responsibilities come into contact with one another. You can see how this interfaces with the idea that sameness is not unity, right? The goal 
of this humble diversity leading to unity is not that we always agree. It's not that we always get our way. It's, it's not that we are always going to see eye to eye on every single issue. It's that our humility would lead us to love those who are wired differently than us, who are um, just gifted differently than us, who have a different sphere of influence and responsibility to us, and ultimately to lay down our preferences according to our conscience and see how the Lord would knit our hearts even closer in this local church together. Now, two of the real challenges that we face in the 21st century and it's actually not unique to the 21st century, but it's two ways that that culture and the time that we live is pulling us away from what Paul is calling us to, and it's two things. One is individualism, and the other is consumerism. Christians, by the way, are no exception to those challenges. Even we think first of ourselves and then everybody else so many times. There is a lot of what I would call silo thinking and acting in the local church. We really struggle to see ourselves interconnected with one another. We're not asking the Lord often to reveal to us by his spirit when we come into this worship gathering, for example, like who do I need to move towards? Who do I need to encourage? Who do I I need to serve? Typically, we come into this space and other spaces thinking about how those things can be done for us. And I hope that you are encouraged and served in the context for community here uh, at Mercy View. But unfortunately, I think we tend to stay in that space and only that space a lot. And here's the deal. If we can make that shift personally and, and as a church... I think it's a game changer. If we can make the shift to seeing others rather than ourselves first. And the close cousin we just talked about, consumerism, gets in the way of this true. It destroys this unity among humble diversity because when we see the church as only a means of meeting our needs, the church is not a body where everyone is linked and serving one another and being built up. It really ends up just being a place, an institution, and an establishment that is for me and me alone. We talked about this a few weeks ago about this idea of interconnectedness when we looked at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6. If you know that passage, it's a provocative passage because Paul is going to use a word picture that um, his, his intent in sharing the, 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 the word picture in the way that he does is to say there is something that happens when one who engages with intimacy with someone other than their spouse, when that happens, they join themselves with that person in a very deep way, physically, emotionally, and it makes them very, very connected. And he uses this to, to say when you join your life, with individuals in a church body in a similar way, but it's obviously very different because this is the right way to do it. You are deeply and intimately connected to one another in this body in, in, a, in a very unique way as well. There is a way that we are connected in the local church that links us together in a special way. And if we take the idea that we're looking at tonight and uh, that we just talked about and lay it over our passage, 
Our practice of humble diversity or, or the lack thereof either contributes to unity or works against it. Humble unity in diversity makes the church beautiful. Now, look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 6. Paul has already said that there are real differences of functions among believers. He does it again in verse 6. Paul says this, that since we have a variety of gifts, and since we have received these gifts from a gracious God, we ought to use them for his glory and for the edification to build up those around us. We actually looked at this idea this past fall when we were talking about what it looks like to be a disciple in the local church. Remember, we looked at 1 Peter 4. And uh, in, in 1 Peter 4, what you really see is God has given gifts to people in the body to be stewarded to serve others in the church. God gives spiritual gifts to his people so that others can be blessed, so that others can be encouraged, so that others can be challenged in their faith. And here in Romans 12 and verses 6 6 through 8, what Paul begins to do is rattle off a series of, of gifts. There are seven of them there. Now, this is not a complete list. Actually, there are no real exhaustive lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. The New Testament lists different ones in about six different places. And, and none of them are the same, and no one list contains them all. But if you put them all together, you have 22 gifts that capture all of the ways that God has gifted his people. But, but what you'll notice is there are gifts that uh, you might have that aren't listed in any of those lists in the New Testament. One of the clearest examples are the people that were up here just a while ago leading us in worship. You're not going to find that particular gift in any of the New Testament lists, but it's a gift. And it's a spiritual gift because what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is whatever the Spirit wants to do at the moment for and through the church in the pursuit of the mission of Jesus and the kingdom of, of Jesus. Right, and so, so singing or playing an instrument or running sound or video or, or creating a beautiful environment to worship in, you won't find that in any of the New Testament lists. But you will see echoes of it in the Old Testament where individuals were gifted to sing and to write songs and to be great craftsmen. And so we just need to be careful as we look even at the list we're looking at tonight. It's not exhaustive. Even if you put all the lists together, it's not exhaustive. But though there isn't, an exhaustive list of gifts, I do think there is a clear definition of what spiritual gifts are in the Bible. I just said it to you. Let me just say it again. It's whatever the Spirit wants to do at that moment for the church and through the church as we pursue the mission of Jesus together. Sometimes those gifts are permanent gifts. You, you receive that gift graciously from the Lord, and you have that gift for your entire life. Sometimes those, those gifts are temporary. They come upon you for a, a moment or a, a season where God wants to do something. The point is that God has spiritual gifts for each of us that he intends for us to use to serve and to bless one another. So here's the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Humble service makes the church beautiful as well. Humble service makes the church beautiful. So here are a few things I think we can see from what Paul is saying here about spiritual gifts. First, when Paul says that God has assigned gifts to us in verse 3, he means that every follower of Jesus gets at least one. 
So here's the question. Do you know what yours is? I have found in my own life, I've seen this bear itself out of the lives of a lot of folks that um, I've had the privilege to walk with. Your Christian life won't really take off until you start discovering what God has created you to do to serve other people. Like nothing helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus like helping someone else grow in their relationship with Jesus in whatever way you're gifted. Some of you have never discovered the joy of being used by God in the lives of other people. Let me tell you, it's thrilling. God saved you to send you into service, to send you into mission. And I just want to say um, there are many, many people here tonight who have followed this call. And I am so proud of you, honored to walk with you in ministry here at, at Mercy View. You are experiencing the thrilling nature of serving other people, seeing how God can use you to bless and encourage, even challenge people to say things that are maybe even hard to other people, but in love. God saves us to send us to serve other people people. If you don't know what that is, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment, how you can discover that. But second, I think Paul is saying this, no one Christian has all of the spiritual gifts. Again, verse five is saying that we need each other, right? That's the whole point of the body metaphor. God has intentionally set up his body so that we need each other. It's one of the ways that he combats the ways that you and I tend to like move towards pride, and self-centeredness. I think that the most valuable earthly gift that God has given me outside of my wife Holly and my children is this church. I have learned more about God from being in this body than anywhere I've ever been before in my life. And there have been moments where God has raised up somebody just at the right moment to speak a word of encouragement to me, to speak a word of guidance to me, to speak a word of warning to me, to minister to me, to minister to my family. It has been a, an amazing a journey to experience that. And, and the working together of his body is also how God does his best work in the world, even outside of the four walls of this church. God has designed us so that we need each other. You are incomplete. You are insufficient for life without deep and meaningful involvement in a local church. Now, here's the third thing I think Paul is saying as well. Spiritual gifts are usually a specialization in a duty given to all Christians. Notice that, that the things Paul lists out here in, in this passage, teaching, encouraging, giving generously, serving, teaching, showing mercy. I wish we had time to just talk about all of those. We don't tonight, but... Aren't those things commanded of all of us, right? Yes, but that's where the phrase in verse 6, I think, comes into play. According to the grace given, God gives certain believers an extra measure of grace in these things. Like, we're all supposed to evangelize, but there are some people in this church who are gifted in evangelism, and I'm learning from them and trying to lean on them to understand what it looks like for me to be a better evangelist, for our church to be better evangelists. We're all supposed to give, but there are some of you here who have a particular gifting spirit. It's a spiritual gift to give generously of your time, of your energy, of your resources. We're all called to pray, right? 
But there are some who seem to know right when to pray or how to pray. My wife is this way. She is the, the most, uh, the way that the Lord answers her prayers has shown over time just like she is gifted in, in prayer. So God gives certain believers a, an extra measure of grace, even though it's something that we're all called to. And while we're all called to do everything on this list, we're not all called to do everything equally or gifted equally for them. Like as a pastor here, one of my primary uh, jobs is to do what I'm doing right now. It's, it's a great privilege to do this. But just because I do this doesn't make me omnicompetent in all areas of ministry here at Mercy View. I am not a one-man ministry machine. Sorry to break it to you. But God has made me a part of a body and gave me a role and some gifts to serve the church. And when those gifts come alongside John Floyd's gifts, something beautiful starts to happen. And when those gifts come alongside our deacons, when those come alongside our gospel community leaders and the people in our gospel communities and all of our partners, and we're all, this all is starting to happen. You get the picture here. This is that kaleidoscope of unity among diversity. And let me just say it in this way. Not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it, but something does. So we need to figure that out and devote ourselves to that, which really leads to the million-dollar question, how do you discern your gifts? Uh, I, I think that spiritual gifts tests and inventories can be a great tool to, to help us maybe begin to discover some of that kind of stuff. But there can be limits to that. Um, I actually came across a little tool that I, I think is really helpful from pastor and author J.D. Greer that I just want to share with you real briefly. Um, and this is almost kind of envisioned as like a Venn diagram where if these three things kind of in the middle come together, you're starting to probably get a picture of what you're gifted in. And it's, it's three A's. One is affinity. What are you passionate about? What needs do you find yourself drawn to? What kind of ministry feels satisfying for you when you're engaged in it? Maybe what kind of things do you notice in the local church that... Uh, you know, you're like, man, that, there's a need there. I, I, I wonder if I should, should uh, talk to Brad about meeting that need. That, that could be a, an affinity possibly for that particular area of ministry. Some of you reflecting on your past experiences will be really helpful because God has allowed you to go through some really painful things in order to minister to others who are going through that thing in real time. Sometimes you're just, again, you're just aware of certain needs that others don't see. And that awareness is an invitation to do something about it, to move towards that ministry. So that's affinity. The second, though, is ability. What are you good at? What have other people told you that you're good at? Which actually starts to touch on the third A, which is affirmation. Affirmation is, you know, like, where do people see you serving and say, man, I, I see God's hand on you when you do that. We may not think of it this way, but God gave his church to, to us to sometimes help us see what we can't see, including blind spots recording, uh, regarding strengths or, or gifts that we, we don't know that we have. But also the inverse of that, it also helps us, helps like people can be honest with us about things where we think we're gifted in, but we're really not. That's why the gift inventory can be somewhat limited the church can actually be a gracious warning to us when something that we think we do really well, we, we actually don't. I remember in one of my ministry 
uh, jobs before I, I came here. I was a part of a worship um, arts team, and um, we would hold auditions for singers. And, I, you know, ever, they would go and they would sing a song and, and kind of show us what their, their skill level was. And then we would hang out with them after that and just talk with them. And, and the first question we always asked them was like, why do you want to be a part of what we do? And almost every single person said, well, I believe I'm gifted in, in singing. The only problem was is some of them weren't. And so, I, you know, I felt a little bit like Simon Cowell, but like I, I, I had to in love say, hey, you know, maybe the Lord has gifted you in a, in a different way, or maybe there needs to be some training or some things to help you grow. But um, one of the things that's really helpful in the context of a local church is we can help, others can help us uh, affirm our, our gifts. So when those three things sort of converge, you're probably beginning to get a sense of what you may be, be gifted in. But the point that Paul is trying to get at here is this. When you and I humbly recognize ways that we can serve the church with the gifts that God has given us, it begins to make the church really, really beautiful, really attractive in the right ways. And, 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 and again, the diversity doesn't mean we agree on everything and we're, we're the same. It's in the diversity that we find unity and the church becomes powerful, becomes beautiful. As we close tonight, I want to think about the idea of, of humility by doing something I don't know if I've done before. Um, but I want us to look at a passage together. And, and what I want to do is something that you, you may want to try in your own quiet time with the Lord. But I just want to pray through a very familiar passage and ask the Lord to help us as we think about how to be humble servants here at Mercy View. So if you would bow your heads with me, let's pray together, and then we'll close out our time in worship. God, your word says in Philippians 2, verse 3, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count, our, count others more significant than ourselves. Lord, we admit to you that many times what we come into the church house, the attitude, the posture of heart that we come in is, is one of selfishness. It's one of, of, of even conceit. But Lord, our, our heart and our prayer tonight is that you would help us to become more humble so that we can count others more significant than ourselves. We want that, Lord. We want to see others as more important, as more significant, as more meaningful than even like our needs being served. It goes on to say, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So God, you don't say that we shouldn't look to the things that, that are of interest to us, but you remind us here that, that we need to also, in addition to that, look to the interests of others. That means we need to have a, a curiosity about others. We need to be a be good, good question askers of, of other people. Help us to move into the lives of other people, showing interest to them. It goes on to say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Lord, the, the model 
the example, but also the substitute for us is Jesus. Jesus is the one who shows us how to do this. Thank you for sending Jesus to to our, our world, the culture of man from the culture of heaven. And in his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now his reign, we see a humble servant, a humble king. He humbled himself, even death to a cross. Humility involves death. Lord, help us die to ourselves and be made new in in you because we want what this says in verse nine to be true of why we do this because we want God's name to be exalted highly. The name that is above every name. We want the name of Jesus to cause every knee to bow in heaven on earth and under earth and every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our knee is bowed. Our tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Humble us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.